Sashira, the Music Explorers podcast. I'm Jim Jam. And I'm Scoot Magoon. And uh, so we, today's episode is uh, something I've been wanting to talk about for a long time, something I've been actually wanting to just watch for a long time, which is, um, uh, so basically a little bit of background. Alex Winter, who uh, previously is, you know, probably best known for, for being in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but uh, has had... Uh, kind of like a second stage in his career as a documentarian uh, who's done he's done uh, a couple he's done one on the deep web um, and another on uh, music downloading uh, both of which I really actually want to see uh, especially after this uh, what we watched today but um, mm. so a few years ago he announced via Kickstarter of all places that he wanted to do a documentary on Frank Zappa and uh, th- there was a whole thing behind this uh because he actually had gail zappa's so frank zappa's uh widow um her like basically her like deathbed permission if i remember right to you know do this and like he she gave him like total access of their house in i think it was like laurel canyon uh that is just filled with archives Mm. and just just so much crap um and so you know it, it's taken a few years to make this thing but uh it finally came out last year and uh i've been really excited for this thing and um i suggested hey let's talk about it and uh here we are and i'm i'm very glad i watched it I'm, i was super psyched by it um but so I, I don't know if I would count this as a review per se. We're gonna, I, I, I definitely want to talk about some aspects of it uh, as a documentary. But, um, you know, I think it's just kind of just a larger conversation on Zappa and sort of our relationship with his music and uh, whatnot. But um, so I guess let's just dive in. Scott, like, um, wh- where were you kind of before this uh, documentary? Uh, with like Zappa, like experience wise, etc. Uh, I can't say I've listened to a ton of Zappa. It's interesting looking back because uh, we we had family friends growing up who they had a German Shepherd named Zappa, um, and I kind of assumed based on that premise, you know, going through you know once I was old enough to really start listening to music and unpacking it, that Zappa was just kind of uh, like the the dad was a big fan of like the Grateful Dead, like that kind of era of, of like yeah. hippie. So I assume that he was just kind of, you know, your typical average, you know, sixties seventies rock. I didn't think he was anything special. Um, and then I think it was because I forget what the order was. Either I bought Hot Rats just you know because I thought it was interesting, or and then Fantana reviewing it for Classics Classics Week reinforced it, or if it was his review of Classics Week that got me into it. But in any case, it was around that time I got into Hot Rats. Uh, it was a really striking cover. I think that's what really stuck out to me. Yeah. Uh, I think it was really cheap, and I figured I'd give it a, a shot because, you know, if it's affordable and I feel like I should listen to it, usually I do. And it was just... I mean, again, it definitely had a lot of very clear 60s 70s vibes about it but the way it was presented and just the the personality that shown through uh it was really really quite striking like it just really um really caught my attention i I spun spun that a lot at a time when that really wasn't the you know i didn't typically listen to that kind of style was much more into um you know metal and like just kind of pitchfork core so to speak um <laughs> and since then i still i still haven't listened to a ton of of zappa i think uh, I, i've fallen into uh, just kind of option paralysis with, with his catalog i mean he has an insane number it, of, it is it's really uh, difficult releases um but I, th- I think i have i think i still have a copy of hot rats and i have i think you gave me um was it a two cd set um, yeah, if I remember it, it's uh, Overnight Sensation and possibly Apostrophe. 
I think so, Maybe. yeah. And unfortunately, as is the case with a lot of stuff I listen to, I listen to it and, and, and think, man, I should listen to more of insert artist name here. And then I just, I don't. So, uh, I, I mean, but with Zappa, I mean, it's it like in a way it's kind of excusable because I mean, just like, you know, it, like you said, it's just like, where do you even go from there? Yeah, exactly. There's just so many, um, there's just so many releases, especially, especially at the end when they did the credits of not only the releases he released, you know, in his his lifetime, yeah, he had, but he had like sixty two in his lifetime, and then they basically doubled that with posthumous. Yeah, I was gonna albums. say like he released either almost as many or you know just as many, in you know, after death. Or obviously not heated, but his estate did, and that's just that's an insane amount of production. But I think at the sense we got, or, or what we got from this documentary, is just how much of a um, metic- workaholic, yeah, workaholic, <laughs> meticulous, creative force he was. Just it, it, he was, you know, restless. He had to put out material. There was that great story of how he wanted to um, get out of his contract with uh, Warner Bros, and he uh, th- th- he wanted to just do a, like a, a a four disc box set and just be done with it and they said no and so he proceeded to just make four separate albums and said here you go have a nice day and that's just that, that's crazy that he was just like all right and he just like went ham you know got down to it and just pumped out four albums i mean that's that's incredible um and yeah. it was really soup to nuts too he, he was very involved in you know even if you know like he had a, an animator that worked with him and obviously he um you know he had a, a really, really cool, a really skilled artistic hand. Like some of the, I really loved the uh, greeting card segment when they would show yeah. something. I thought those were really cool. The, but you, you know, what, the, that kind of reminded me of uh, Ralph Steadman, if I remember right. Um, yes. The, yeah. Yeah. Just like, like kind of like that wiry, exactly, uh, like angry, yeah, sort of vibe. That's a great way to put it. Um, but I guess you finish up this thought quickly. You know, you, even. If you know, like when they did the Sergeant Pepper's spoof cover, you know he obviously he was it was a photograph. He wasn't directly involved necessarily in like painting the art or whatever. He was still very much involved in staging everything. So yeah. I think that's something that I appreciate. Um, it's it's kind of why I've always been more of a Prince guy than a Michael Jackson guy. Is uh, there's just something to knowing that an artist from you know start to finish, top to bottom. It, the, it's all them like they really yeah. Pour, I, yeah so i i i'm totally on board and i uh i'm not gonna make this a whole michael jackson episode or anything like that but i you know i used to think that but i i over the years i've sort of learned that he had a much bigger role in the creative process than one might think sure um but you know i i, I get where you're coming yeah from. I, I just meant you know prince would you write perform like yeah you know, all that yeah like that that wasn't yeah, he, that was more pro Prince than anti Michael Jackson, but I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I totally, I'm yeah. not, I'm not trying to, you know, put words in your mouth. So, um, no, so I, oh, and we did do uh, a very long time ago. We did an episode on um, uh, Re- Weasels Rip My Flesh. Um, that was a long, long time ago, way before even like even before Torture Garden was a thing. <laughs> um, man, that was fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so after so basically, you know, I, I guess after watching this, where uh, you know, where did you come out? I guess with this, you know, like where are you standing right now? You know, I after after having watched like two hours of this guy's life, you know, I I appreciate. I felt like it was a very. Um... So I, I, I'm going to assume that you, you didn't watch the recent Michael Jordan documentary. Um, no, <laughs> but, but it was really, really well made. Um, you know, just just artistically, it was really well done. Um, but it was very clear that if I don't know if Jordan had final sign off, but it was basically meant to help solidify his legacy. Like there was very little in there that was too jordan's detriment Mm. um and i feel like i feel like this on the other hand 
was a very honest portrayal of his life. And obviously it's a little bit different because obviously Jordan is still alive, Zappa isn't, but um, it was interesting how this really showed the good, the bad, and the ugly of Zappa. And I'm not, I'm not saying there's a lot of bad and ugly, but still, it, yeah. it, it very much showed you know, some of his, his flaws, his blemishes, but also you know, showed... Um, you know, it showed his collaborators, for example, you know, in many occasions saying that he could be kind of a jerk, an asshole, like really, really, control you know, really control. Exactly. Yeah. But then on there was a great quote. I, f- I forget who said it, that um, he would expect a lot of you, but he never asked you to do something that you he didn't believe you could do. And maybe yeah. maybe you didn't think you could do it, but he I, thought I, you could do it. I think that was Steve Vai out of all people. It might have been. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I guess I didn't know that he was involved with Zappa, but it, it was it was funny that like when his name came up, I'm like, oh shit, that's, that's Steve Vai. I, 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 I'm actually just kind of realizing too that there's a direct lineage. So like, you go from Zappa, who had Steve Vai in his band, and then you go from Steve Vai, who had Devin Townsend in his band. Yeah. And it's just kind of weird how like, you know, just, you know, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, you know? Yeah. Six Degrees of Frank Zappa. So I wonder who in Devin Townsend's band is going to be the next next great guitar driven driven artists yeah. um yeah who, who knows but um yeah the, the, you know there were there were moments they talked about his you know infidelity um, yeah yeah, yeah the, the way i was gonna say that it, differing expectations for how he and his wife would approach their marriage yeah. um and uh but then it, it was interesting to to see uh, really you know clear-cut examples of personal growth how um, they showed that he was a workaholic on the road a lot, just in the studio a lot. He didn't wasn't as involved as in his kids' lives as he could have been. And he got a note from his daughter, you know, in, oh, in, yeah. introducing himself or herself to him, you know, basically tongue in cheek, being like, "Hey, like remember me." But then it showed that they, you know, they wrote a song together. And, yeah, that um, that fucking broke my heart, honestly. It did, but, yeah. But yeah, they, but, well, dude, just like I mean, I. I, I can personally relate in, yeah. in some ways, so for sure, no, absolutely, it was. But to see the personal growth where he kind of took that to heart, uh, I, that was a moment where, again, it just felt real. It felt like he this was not this was not meant to paint Zappa in the best light possible. It also wasn't a hit piece by any means. It was just this is this is who he was, and I guess the you know I, I feel like I've talked a lot. It's I apologize for that, but. Um, the the other thing or i guess the final thing that really stuck out to me is just how it's incredible how much was recorded you know because obviously this this is not uh, this isn't the kind of documentary where there's necessarily a narrator you know there's 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 you know title cards and they'll have some text to add some flavor here and there primarily at the beginning and end but this is just primarily archival footage you know older interview footage and just the sheer amount of uh, a film that was taken of really every aspect of Zappa's career is, is, and I guess, you know, the scenes where you saw his archive, it's maybe not that surprising, but it's just crazy that all this was available. I mean, you have some, some documentaries or some parts of an artist's career when you watch, you watch a documentary where it's like, oh, like there's, there's very little footage or very few photos. This is the only photo taken of that encounter or whatever. And it felt like this was the complete opposite. Where like it mm. felt like Alex Winter probably just had a hard time narrowing down what he wanted to include. Yeah, there's just so much material to work from. I, I if I remember right, because I remember looking at that Kickstarter like multiple times. Like I, I actually wanted to donate to it, um, but I, I think I'm trying to remember what happened. I think I ended up going to grad school and just didn't have any money. So, um, but yeah, they, like he he was saying that like I think like like a big part of that money was just paying people to be able to like look through all of this stuff because there was just so fucking much of it uh but unsurprisingly yeah <laughs> uh yeah i you know i so i mean spoiler i i really enjoyed the movie as well the documentary as well um i i i really did like how even killed it was mm-hmm. in terms of like it it didn't feel like it was um it, it it didn't have like a bias going into it. It like there wasn't a, like an agenda, uh, aside from just I think trying to accurately portray this man's life mm-hmm. and sort of how 
his life was divided in many ways. Just, I mean, like, you know, you have that little sliver of family, you have like a big part of music, but then you also have like a significant chunk that's political as well. Um, and I actually really, I don't know if you remember this part exactly, but there was like a little like black screen and they had the text like a, in, in another movie or something like that. Yeah. And it like sort of cut to, you know, his, his work, uh, you know, railing against censorship in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I really like that because I, I think like, you know, it, it's, it's easy to conflate the two because like, you know, our you know, music and politics kind of, because the two are often, you know, very inseparable, but I, I, I think, I think it's just like, it was cool to see, you know, Alex Winter sort of, I, I think honoring both, um, aspects of, of that like thought process. Like he's not, he's not trying to split them up, but he does realize that there's, uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's almost like there's like a different Zappa in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was, it, it was, yeah, it was just, it was cool. I, I, I do, I think, I really want to point this out, though, that just in terms of just sheer, like, artistry, I don't think I've ever seen a documentary quite as artistic as this. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, like, usually, like, you know, I, maybe it's just because, like, we live in, like, a post-Ken Burns society, <laughs> but, like, I'm so used to, like, seeing those, like, you know, zoom in on an image pan around on the image yeah. play some dramatic music in the background while somebody says something amazing over you know and like the the lights are all like perfectly on this person who's being interviewed and etc like, like the, the, there's a very like cold like clinical kind of aspect to mm-hmm. a lot of documentaries nowadays mm-hmm. uh and he really just put a lot of love into just like every single frame of it like absolutely if you remember there's a scene at the beginning where he's going over like zap is just pulling out random masters and they're just like like he he just cuts in like whatever song he describes i and it's, it's just like little touches like that or mm-hmm. like uh you know it, i a lot of it like you could in in more of the mothers of invention years you could see like all of this stuff that Alex Winter would sort of just like cut into the shot, like you know, just a bunch of like artwork or what have you, uh, just kind of giving it like this, you know, psychedelic appeal almost, mm-hmm. but not quite. Um, it was just like yeah, I, I, it was really impressive to watch, just like on like an aesthetic level alone. Um, like you, you can you can just really tell it was just like it was a labor of love, just yeah. I, you know. Yeah, um, God, <laughs> there's yeah. Th- there are so many little things that just kind of stuck out to me. Uh, the first one that probably stuck out to me the most was um, if you remember. So the the film starts with um, Zappa playing, I think his last like rock show per se, uh, in uh, Czechoslovakia, mm-hmm. and. What I remember from that scene more than anything else is him sticking his cigarette right above the bridge of his strings. Yes. <laughs> um, which is like I, I I don't know why that's like just stuck in my mind, but I just find that to be like the funniest thing. But and, and I'm I like and it's not even like that is like something that he would you know like only he would do because I'm pretty sure like Ronnie Wood and like you know a bunch of those like guitar gods probably have done the same thing but it's just like such a, like an idiosyncrasy caught on film that i just love it um yeah. or yeah just like little, little things like that i i just i really like that um you were saying before um before we started recording that um <laughs> lauren uh had some thoughts about this as well yeah, so the first I, I wanted to say, I mean, you're totally right that you know, on the one hand, you could say that you know Alex Winter had a, a lot of a lot to work with. You know, he obviously had it wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't looking for content to put in this movie, uh, as is evidenced by just the. I, I mean, I, he he definitely did shoot some interviews, like um, with the Underwoods, uh, in particular, the and Steve Vai. Like yeah. those two were definitely filmed by him. Sure. Yeah, um, I, I was gonna. I mean, I was gonna. I 
meant to turn that into a compliment that he he still oh. had, he still had to uh, he still had to package it in an interesting way. I, I mean, in, yeah. in, in some ways, you know, in, in my own, you know, for my career and, and work myself, sometimes it's easier to have less to work with than have too much to work with because then, mm. like, like the more and more content you have, it's it's difficult to pare it down. It's difficult to put it all together in a narrative that makes sense. And I think he did a beautiful job of that. Uh, some of the more avant-garde <laughs> footage... Uh, my wife was watching with me, and she was a little, <laughs> she was a little intrigued by it. Uh, she specifically, she doesn't like when people, um, you know, seeing people get sick. And there was that. I think pretty much right as soon as she started wa- watching, there was a scene where a guy like spit up blood or something. She was like, yeah. she was like, that's nice, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's so visually stunning, you know, especially you know the scenes where he just lets the song ride, and there was a lot of you know concert footage or um, they kind of let. Well, it- let the, that, like stop motion yeah, animation yeah, really too, kind of like which was led into really it. really cool. Like some of some of the, I mean, for me in general, stop motion. Like I that is, it, that probably would be one of the rooms in my personal hell. Like I'm just I'm such an impatient, yeah. I'm such an impatient and non artistic person that having to do stop motion like take one foot like a slight. Oh yeah, but but the results are really cool. Like it's you know I love stop motion in general, but like I can't <laughs> imagine doing it. This is a little bit of a side note, but have you ever? There's a YouTube video about one of the uh, robot chicken animators who uh, took a Nintendo Power Glove and like reprogrammed it so it was easy, so he could make it easier to do stop motion. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like, like he just like he would just like press a button on it, and it, like the camera would just go off, so he could just he could basically press it from anywhere and just be able to turn and not have to worry about all that stuff. But oh, interesting. Yeah, kind of neither here nor there. That that's just what kind of popped up in my mind. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, I I think as you know personally, but my own um, relationship with Zappa's music and sort of um, I I guess like the personality that he's best known for. I I've you know over the years kind of been kind of put off by it. Uh, like a bit more and more as time has gone on but i you know listening like watching this thing again you know really made me appreciate and and like really see what a lot of people see in zappa just like sort of that humor part of things you know like um specifically that there's that footage of him on saturday night live uh singing dancing man or dancing fool Uh um and like I, I just thought that was really funny. Like you know, and just uh, like there were just like these little moments that were like, okay, like I, 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 I kind of get it now because like for the longest time, like I, this is gonna be weird, but like Frank Zappa to me is kind of like a musical Kurt Vonnegut. In that everybody else on the fucking planet finds him to be this hilarious laugh out loud genius. And I have just never, ever been able to com- quite understand what people see in it. And, and I, I say this as someone who adores Vonnegut. Like, I have everything the man wrote in terms of, like, fiction mm-hmm. on my shelf. I did my, like, my bachelor's thesis on Slaughterhouse-Five, for God's sake, you know? Uh, but I've just never understood why people think he's funny, you know? And it's the same thing with Zappa. Like, just, I think for a lot, for me, like, it just... A lot of Zappa's humor just felt like bizarre, like to the point of like LOL random, mm-hmm. as opposed to like actually funny. And then like the few like, you know, whenever he starts bringing like satire into it, it just kind of feels bitter and angry, as opposed to like satirical. Um, and I mean, I I still feel that way, but I you know th- this was like watching this was a very good. Um, refresher for you know I think what other people see in him and I I I, I really uh, I'm glad that I've I was able to have that experience I guess yeah I I, I totally get where you're you're coming from uh, I, I I definitely it's always hard I think the hardest thing in music for me um, if there's the, the one thing that's such a make or break you know what you know that may or may not work for me is humor and music it's just it's so 
it's so tough because you don't necessarily like obviously if you if you watch a a film of pretty much any genre you expect you know some jokes here or there uh i mean obviously not not every genre but you know by and large and obviously if you watch stand-up comedy like there's other mediums where humor isn't necessarily um a surprise but in music sometimes it's it's tough i i i i just kind of had like a a, a an epiphany right now because i just realized that like maybe part of the reason with this and i'm not going to go too long of this but maybe part of the reason humor and music is so difficult is that you know because i think think about like comedy in literally any other medium you have some sort of other contextual clue as to the joke you know like you listen to a stand-up comedian even and you can hear the tone of his voice or mm-hmm. her voice you know um or like you know you watch a movie and you kind of see the situation whereas with music it's completely ripped away and even if you know you could hear someone's tone of voice with something but at the, like but but it's also they're, they're singing so you know you, you don't really have that tone as much in a way like you know it, it it's kind of like how um you know part of language is you know what we speak but also you know uh sort of our facial expressions when we speak it yeah absolutely and, and I, I think to you know add to that a tiny bit is because you can't necessarily add that inflection when you're singing it depends yeah. a lot on uh, the personality of the artist themselves. Like for for example, I know a lot of people are turned off by Father John Misty's uh, persona. I happen I like his persona. I think he's funny, so therefore when he makes jokes in his music, I f- usually think they're funny. Whereas if if you don't, I mean, it's kind of like I've said before. I think using this example is um, if you think the the jock or like the kind of the class bully is funny or you think he's a cool dude you might you know you might the the leeway you might give him to make jokes is a little like he might make kind of a a mediocre joke but you you'll think it's funnier just because you like his sense of humor or if you think he's a huge jerk then it's you probably will find him less funny than yeah other people will so i i got the same sense you did with zappa it, some of the humor I, I definitely it was a little it didn't necessarily like bother right it didn't roll my eyes like i didn't necessarily think it was all funny but i i agree that in terms of like considering it like genius comedy i i don't really get it um it, it's i mean i i don't know if anybody would go and call like you know don't eat the yellow snow <laughs> something of genius yeah but you know, it, I yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I I'm I'm remembering um, because I probably the well, I mean probably the epitome of Zappa humor for me in like a negative way is is just the entirety of Joe's Garage, like that triple album Joe's mm-hmm. Garage that I I just I I fucking hate that album. I'm sorry, I just hate it. It is like one of my least favorite albums, honestly. Wow. Um, I I just like I just don't get it uh but you know i but i specifically the example i was thinking of was from um roxy and elsewhere uh one of his live albums where he just like i think he has because i the actually little insert it was really cool to see sort of the stage um you know show that they would do in terms of like you know they had like choreography and stuff that they were doing which i which i it's probably a lot to put on a musician but it was still really cool to see um, but anyway, he, he had a couple of strippers come up on stage, I think. And I, I just, I always remember this because he's just like, Oh, you know, meet Lucy. Lucy's a professional harlot. And I'm just <laughs> like, I'm like, Oh yeah. Ha ha. Ha ha. Frank. <laughs> just like, okay. So where's the joke? <laughs> like it, but it's just like, you know, the, it, like sometimes he has like this sneer to his voice. Uh-huh. That it just it just seems so condescending, but I, anyway, I, I I really don't want to portray this in a negative light uh, because, like, throughout this documentary, you know, I found like 
there is because while I do have my issues with Zappa and some of his music, uh, I there is just an overwhelming majority of just straight admiration for him. Uh-huh. You know, regardless of my thoughts on his music, because it, I mean th- they can be here and or here or there, it can be touch and go for me. But I, I because I, I've always been a really big fan of sort of the mentality that Zappa kind of pioneered in a way. Uh, it's just weird because like I. My, my experience with that mentality but by, by which I mean like kind of like this um, you know almost like you know uh, jack of all trades type of artist but like not exactly a jack of all trades because he's kind of a master in all of them uh-huh. in a way but just like kind of like this overwhelming um, creative urge that you know you follow without lagging and will do anything to follow you know like to the point you know he was in prison you know mm-hmm. just like the, the 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 sacrifices that he would make just for his art like it's it's that type of thing it's having his own record label you know it's you know just sticking to his own guns like i admire that so much and my first experience with that in a lot of ways was john zorn but mm-hmm. i mean I feel like Zorn got that from Zappa. I mean, to a very large extent, because I mean, like, there. I mean, he was such. Zappa is such an idiosyncratic figure in music history because th- there was just nobody before him who was like, "Oh yeah, I like classical music, and I fucking like rock music, and you know, I want to put these two things together and mm-hmm. just do them how I want to do them." Like, that was a trailblazing moment. Like he, like. I, I honestly think that if it wasn't for him, like the entire New York downtown scene would just not exist. Yeah. Like, because, you know, when it comes to, you know, I, I mean, just people like Elliot Sharp, people like John Zorn. Um, I mean, I, I, those are the two that come to my mind the most, but like Ned Rothenberg, um, Sylvie Cavusier, um, even like Matt Hollenberg and like you know like people from like Imperial Triumphant, Mr. Bungle, you know they, like just people like that. They you know I I feel like they all, you know, pay a debt to Zappa in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was such an incredible trailblazer, um, and this is towards the the end. This is kind of after everything you just said was established. But the, the other thing that I thought was fascinating was the whole. Um, and you alluded to it earlier, you know, his whole part in the, you know, parental advisory, you mm. know, satanic panic. And I just, it was really, I, I had never thought of it this way, but like when you think back to, you know, the hearings that I've seen, like at least I've seen in documentaries and the people that spoke out about it, the two people that come to mind are uh, D. Snyder from Twisted Sister oh, and, yeah. Fra- and Frank Zappa. And the fact that, I mean, obviously... Twisted Sister was one of the bands that, you know, was being targeted for their, you know, their retire. Yeah. So, like, that that kind of makes sense. But the fact that Zappa spoke out, and I, I don't even know if it was on Congress's radar. Like, I, like I, I don't know if, like, they, they would even consider or, like, would have known enough about his music to include him amongst, like, problematic artists. So, the fact that I think he... Maybe earlier, you know, like, like remember... Or, uh, oh, I was going to say, uh, I, I actually got my time on mixed up, never mind. So uh, well, yeah, I was just gonna the, the the fact that like he just based solely on the principle of it, he you know spoke out about it w- was pretty you know it showed like his dedication to his craft, like how he viewed you know he embraced music so wholeheartedly in, in his um, in his life. Uh, although it, it, you taking this I guess a short detour, uh, it's interesting how that whole the fear and the whole debate um, over. All of that is feels really moot now, like just it feels like, like, I mean, people don't really buy, like the pretzel advisory label is. I mean, it's still used, but people don't really buy physical media and, and see that necessarily. Um, yeah. It's so easy for people to access music. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not raising children nowadays, but I assume it's really difficult to monitor everything they're consuming to the point where we're you know that might not even come into play and i think there was actually it had the opposite effect on record sales when when 
they first launched the parental advisory label because you know there was the the taboo effect that people it kind of made that type of, you know music with that label on it more enticing um but it was that period is always really interesting to me because i feel like um I feel like in some ways, I guess we'll, you know, we'll get back to the document after this, but yeah, I feel like no, I, I, it's good to have this conversation. Yeah, so. but I feel like in some ways they kind of um, like prove themselves wrong by censoring music or like having edited versions. Like I think some songs like edited on the radio or if you buy like the clean version, it, it is very obvious it's a, it's a, it's a subpar version. Like it's very obvious. Yeah. Like when you tweak art, like I think a great example was um, SNL recently for the I think the twentieth anniversary of Stan, which is insane to think that that's even here. But um, <laughs> they did they did a spoof on it with uh, like based on Santa, and it was with Pete Davidson like writing you know a crazy letter to Santa how much like he loves it. It was pretty funny. Um, but I watched it with Lauren, and Lauren had never seen Stan. You know, she did. She didn't know. You know what that what it was based on. So I put on the music video, which is edited, and it was it it was awful. Like because yeah. the amount that they edit and the like, they it completely neuters the the integrity of the song. Like like it totally. It, it's a it's very clearly a worse version of the song because you take out like you try to sanitize it and you just ruin the art. So yeah, th- that I, that's been like my always interesting or like what interests me most about that movement is that they kind of shot themselves in the foot because by you know forcing music to be edited they proved that by doing that you cause a, a worse version of the art that is less appealing to people see it, it's funny and i i'm i will not uh go too much on this but i, I i'm what st- what sticks out to me most about that entire conflict is that the people who were against this parental advisory, you know, label and things like that are nowadays the people who are like, you know, canceling all these other artists. <laughs> um, I, I, I just find it all kind of hypocritical, frankly. Yeah. But um, I, I, I'm just, I, th- this isn't really the platform, I think, to have that conversation, at least maybe not in this episode in particular. But, um, yeah, just it, it, it's it's definitely interesting, sort of just the effect that he had on you know just I, I think having the balls to even speak out mm-hmm. about something like that. I mean, especially like when they said uh, because it, remember he he took that position as like a cultural minister or whatever it was, yeah. you know, it was um, tr- cultural emissary I want to say for Czechoslovakia mm-hmm. and uh, and the government like I. It, didn't they specifically tell the Czechoslovakian president to like that they wouldn't basically play ball with him unless Zappa was not associated with them? Yeah, which is really <laughs> shitty. It really sucks. But. Yeah, it's it's like, whoa. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, but I, you know, because I mean, I, as someone who who tries to steer clear of of kind of like political conversations and kind of that uh you know just yeah that conversation in general um i i really found how alex Minter, you know kind of put forward this aspect of it you know i i found it really really nice just in you know in that he didn't you know kind of like relegate it to the sidelines mm-hmm. you know but he also didn't make it the entire documentary but you could hear you like you know but at the same time it wasn't like he was denying that Zappa wasn't a political person because you know like we talked about earlier you know those greeting cards like the, that what was that it was um uh the Jesus saves uh greeting card yeah yeah uh, and like just like things like that you know you you get a lot of you know he, uh i mean it, it, it the, the picture's very apparent you know uh even if you dive just a little bit into Zappa that he was you know he was someone who stuck by what he believed in mm-hmm. even if you know it was to his own detriment um you know and w- whether that's you know not taking drugs and saying that the whole hippie movement was kind of bullshit or you know uh, speaking out against like tipper gore and all her bullshit you know <laughs> yeah so 
and like again that that's something i personally really admire because uh, i mean it's i feel like it's it's tougher and tougher to do that these days mm-hmm. honestly um you know maybe it's just because you know i'm finally like you know adulting for the first time in my mm-hmm. life and like i'm kind of cognizant a little more of kind of just the absolute peer pressure that it is to kind of be uh kind of a member of society mm-hmm. at times especially with just social media and everything um and sort of that interconnectedness but anyway i just i, I don't know i i, I like that i i like zappa's ethic even though it has obviously some uh, less positive parts of it uh you know i i mean wh- was it just me but i did didn't did you find kind of i found it alarming how much he aged in the span of like you know like 20 years it was pretty it was pretty jarring and, and yeah very, and, and i mean yeah. i obviously uh cancer will uh you know do that it, to it you will, it will indeed yeah yeah, but I mean, it was just like I mean, seeing like the, one of those last interviews where like he didn't even bother shaving. Yeah, I was just like, damn, like that, that that's rough to watch. Like absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, that that side of it that that was really sad. I mean, you know, I I I, I try to keep pragmatic when it comes to you know death. Uh, but I mean, even for someone who, you know, it, like I, you know, I, it's not like I'm the biggest Frank Zappa fan on the planet, but like even watching that was really difficult at times. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, just since you were just introduced to this person who was just like a hundred miles per hour all the time in a way, uh, you know, <laughs> like that was he, he was, he was thrown off stage you know, by, like, some, like, lunatic, basically. Yeah, and he, he, had, yeah. he had to be in a wheelchair. Like, yeah, and just, like, forced to, like, stop touring and things like that. And just, like, that kind of stir-craziness is just, like, you know, I I, I, I get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way. Um, yeah. Honestly, I, I really don't have anything negative to say about this document i really loved it i i loved how it was made you know how the information was presented you know just the aesthetics of the entire thing just felt very much uh like a tribute to that aesthetic that you know is just so singularly zappa Uh um you know i i I guess the the real shame in all of this is that i i feel like covid probably like put a really big damper on this thing's release because, like, I, I didn't even know it came out last year until, like, mm, like two months ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember hearing anything about it at all until you mentioned it. So, and it, that's yeah. definitely been a consistent theme in, in Hollywood yeah. and the broader film industry is it's really tough to... Oh, yeah. Um, I, I Like, uh, I mean, I offhand, offhand topic, off note, I guess, um, I was just, like, because, I, I mean... We, 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 I think we've said we've basically have on a record nowadays that uh, award shows are all just you know kind of like pretentious bullcrap uh-huh. that are kind of like masturbatory and self-serving to the industries and you know more specifically kind of like the mainstream. Um, but nonetheless, I was uh, curious enough to look up sort of uh, what people's predictions are for like the Oscar nominations this year, and like I was looking at some of the films and I'm like. I have never heard of any of these films. And, like, usually there's, like, one or two that I'm, like, at least, like, you know, somewhat aware of. (laughs) It's it's definitely been been tough to... Because as much as people can watch movies at home and it's easier than ever to to stream media at home, I mean, it's still really centered around... um, you know, released in theaters. I mean, it's some line yeah. line of demarcation. Um, you know, like when it's available, and people still like going to the movie theaters. So having that removed, I think part of it was just um, like I feel like there isn't a centralized like people. You have Spotify people, Apple Music people. When an album's released, people know where to get it. 
But like when a movie's released, people are kind of used to oh, like they'll see it in theaters. Like maybe I'll get it on Redbox, you know, or something like that. But mm. I feel like that's you know this in some ways is helping to push. Um, and I think this happened around the time you know you know you got Peacock launching HBO Max, like a lot of you know, networks and and you know companies are launching their own streaming platforms. So definitely a weird year for media in that regard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that's kind of, uh, you know, not really, I mean, I, I brought it up just because it, it just reminded me of it, but, um, yeah, I mean, do, do you have any, um, like takeaways? Because, you know, I, I feel like we're kind of running out of steam at this point. Yeah. I, uh, I actually, I feel, I, I didn't find a good time to, to, uh, insert this. I feel bad to end on a, a small negative note, but there is the no, one, let's go for it. One light critique and it's only with documentaries of this style and it's a personal thing but um documentaries without a narrator i feel like sometimes it's easier to fall a little bit into meandering um and i i didn't think it happened a lot here but there were some times where i felt like se segments maybe could have been trimmed a little bit um and especially uh it wasn't a deal breaker by any means but i feel like we were introduced to new segments just kind of uh like yeah haphazardly it just, just kind of happened like like they him having cancer just kind of like boom there it was or you know like whenever, yeah. whenever things I, happen I, it, it, in all fairness that, that, that that's probably the most realistic approach sure yeah <laughs> when, when it comes to cancer anyway but yeah but um, i mean even throughout it was kind of um like you didn't necessarily get a firm or like i didn't have a firm grasp throughout like what what year was unless like th th there are moments that you know it, it showed the year or like eventually you got around to it but it wasn't like clearly um it was a lot loose looser than um i yeah i i i'm totally i totally get where you're coming from and like i i agree to a certain extent but i i think for like i i feel like it was um you know purposefully done that way sure because i i think a lot of you know of zappa's career like it, it wasn't it wasn't like picasso you know where like you know zappa has like his blues phase you mm. know like yeah or his blue period or what have you you know because a, a lot of that stuff was really blended all together and if you notice like there are a lot of musicians who you know keep coming back throughout the years and like you know a after the mothers of invention like a after he disbanded the mothers you know, he was like, we aren't going to tour anymore. But then, you know, w w what does he do next? He starts touring again, you know? Yeah. So it's, it, like, it, it's, it's all a little more nebulous than I think, you know, um, a traditional, like, you know, history would put it down as, I guess. Oh. But I, I, I really, I do get where you're coming from. And, like, I, I felt like there were a couple segments, like, during, I think, sort of that period in between the mothers disbanding and kind of, like, Zappa kind of finding his voice as more of a solo act, um, you know, kind of like it, you know, it, it it was kind of like an odd, kind of like it felt a little topsy turvy and like you just weren't sure where you were in the timeline. Yeah, it, exactly, and I do think it makes sense um, to an extent. It kind of fits uh, the general Zappa style, and especially with. I mean that that's a great point with um, like kind of comparing to someone like like a Picasso where you had specific periods you kind of frame it in a way um, a little bit difficult with someone like Zappa where there's just so much material you know <laughs> to, to cover and it doesn't necessarily neatly fall in um, specific categories um, but yeah I, I mean yeah. it wasn't a deal breaker by any means but it was something I noticed and I just I found sometimes I was like wait where are we like what year is it um mm. so but yeah i mean pretty minor critique because the, the, the you know the content itself and learning about um you know learning about an artist that you know i i, I felt for a while whenever I, I see his name like i should probably listen to you know a bit more of his stuff uh it was it was really well done i, th I think even if you don't really care for Zappa's music, uh, I think it was just really intriguing. He's a very interesting person. Uh, you can mm. definitely feel, you know, his influence um, the more you 
you learn about you know what he did, what he stood for, and uh, yeah, I was I was glad that you brought this to our attention. I'm glad we talked about it. Uh, it was really 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 well done, and, and it's so funny that the you know the the dude and I remember when we were talking about it. You're like, you mean the dude from Bill and Ted, like that 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 guy, like he <laughs> he's he's in the documentaries now because I don't really know. Like obviously Keanu Reeves has gone on to his own, you know, his own stuff. Like I I have no no idea how the career trajectory of Alex Winter is gone, but I guess he's yeah he's done quite well for himself. Um, and yeah, I, I I had no idea about it until I saw the Kickstarter, uh, so many years ago now. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's it's very interesting to see the, those trajectories. I mean, who who would have guessed that Scott Walker would be remembered as like an avant-garde genius yeah. back in the '60s? Absolutely, you know. Um, so, yeah, I um, yeah, th- th- this was just this was a lot of fun. I I'm really glad I finally got around to watching this as well, and that we got to talk about it. And um, yeah, so. I guess, uh, do you want to talk about Albums of the Week? I would indeed. All right. Well, what you got? So, I, out of nowhere, decided that I wanted to, well, not out of nowhere, but, like, I, I really wanted to start trying to complete this artist's discography, and it was not a super easy one because um, they have a lot of, demos and tapes and whatnot so try as best uh, yeah try as best as possible to okay. um to kind of piece together uh i have like a, a spreadsheet of like all the singles and compilations they've been on and i've been able to cover it with a few different compilations that they've released uh including uh one of three they released that pretty good archival in terms of looking at how many EPs and demos and singles they fit on this. They did a pretty good job of, of collecting a lot of their early material. And uh, I guess I'll just pick um, pick the most recent one I, I, I got, the one that I think I enjoyed the most, but there's a lot of material on here. Uh, and it is uh, Ghana by The Mountain Goats. Um, they released a, a series of compilation albums uh, around the same time and this one was by far the longest it had i think 30 songs on it uh, a lot of them were pretty short i mean the early days of the mountain goats john derniel was just kind of you know fucking around with acoustic guitar <laughs> tape recorder him um but also he had some uh, there's some additional vocals on here a little bit of bass some violin uh, i guess he collaborated with a few other musicians uh and i don't know there's just something there's something neat about listening to this very early folk version of John Darnielle and kind of hearing snippets of what's to come. Uh, it's definitely definitely prefer his more his more I don't want to say orchestrated. Focused. Yeah, is is more yeah. you know like when he brought in a band and whatnot. There's definitely some mountain goats purists that think that you know the early days are like the best days, and I think there's something something there in a sense that given how much material he released with this the setup of an acoustic guitar or just a you know the tape recorder or whatnot to suddenly change pace and bring in additional instrumentation but i feel like that only brought out his sounds and, and can't you know frankly as much as i like this approach there's only so much you can do with that kind of setup um you know there's only so many combination of chords you can use before it starts to sound a little bit similar um mm. and um i don't know it, it definitely it's always cool to hear where an artist came from you know the most of my listening of the mountain goats is in their you know the core of their career once they were a full band so um it was really interesting to look back and still have a long way to go to finish their discography uh discogs definitely definitely depressed me when i looked at some of the yeah i actually I, I i in my spreadsheet i had a classification of unavailable where like you just you know it's not not in print not in discog anything like that um and then other <laughs> others i had a classification where i was like too expensive where like the price i saw <laughs> i'm just like you know what there is no way i am ever going to, to pay that much for oh anything. that's funny i i see i i'm a little reluctant to i mean well the thing is, like, when it comes to the actual, like, these musicians put out this music, 
and this is how it's distributed like discogs is the like expert they are the definitive source Mm -hmm. to go to but like i'm like because like they will count like you know just compilations like anything that they show like an artist will show up and as like part of that compilation even sometimes Mm -hmm. you know it's just like it, it it gets so detailed that it's just like insanity to pay attention to Uh in in my opinion so i try not to um but it's funny you you mentioned the too expensive thing because i was actually i i just bought the last two leprous albums that i need Uh to complete their discography except for but i well i so i say that but i'm still missing tall poppy syndrome and um i was looking for it on discogs and it is just way too expensive <laughs> like no like just just unjustifiably so um yeah yeah I I, I, I I think that one is uh missing from a lot of people's discography because uh, the the few times i've seen it listed it, it's just for a because i think when i was gonna when i was originally uh completing leprous's discography after melina came out um i looked up tall poppy syndrome and was like nope no yeah. nope there's oh, yeah I, I don't i don't like any i don't like any album enough to spend some of the you know some of the upper echelon prices i've seen like i just i, I feel yeah. like uh, i don't know i i would need a really good excuse is like to spend like over a hundred dollars on a single cd yeah so like if it's a really cool box set or you know yeah it's like you know for example i i forget how much i paid for that Led Zeppelin box set, but like it's their full discography and it's a it's a pretty cool packaging. Like that's different, but yeah, exactly for a single release, that's that's a hard sell. Literally, oh yeah, literally. I know. Like, like trying to get the self titled daughters album is like impossible. Like all of the copies are like over five hundred dollars. <laughs> it's just like like I, I I don't even know if that album is like more than forty five minutes long. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's like doesn't match up. No, because and there's all there's always that um, there's always that fear. Like if if you spend too much, that's why I typically don't spend too much on an album because like you put it on and as you're listening, you just like your excitement level plummets and you just start feeling mm. like guilt and sadness for like how much you spent on an album that you're yeah you're, you're realizing in real time like that wasn't worth it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I I definitely have a few of those yeah. albums. I mean, I've, I've been uh, I've been there for four for albums that I have not spent nearly as much as the albums we're talking about. So I can't imagine. Oh yeah, I can't yeah. imagine going <laughs> to that point where I spent like a hundred plus dollars in an album and listen to it. I'm like, well, this was a mistake. <laughs> well, fuck this. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So, uh, my own album of the week. Um, you know, it's, we're talking about our collections, you know, of of CDs and like music that we have. And, like, I mean, the thing is, like, we're, we're, I mean, I'm getting close to a thousand. You're well over a thousand, I'm assuming. Um, CDs and vinyl. And just, yeah. What was that? CDs and vinyl, you're definitely over a thousand. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I think when your collection gets that big, you often forget about certain albums. Like, there are just certain things that you just, like, it's just, like, it doesn't even exist almost, even though, like, you might really love it. Uh-huh. And uh, that was the case for this album week. It's called um, so it, it's a it's a group called Spangle, and the uh, the album's called uh, the Ineffable Mystery is of Spangle Land. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, yeah, I, I, I you, you've never heard of these guys? No, before? I can't say I have. I I feel like I've talked about these. So, um, they're like a duo. It's a uh, hallucinogen who's like a psytrance producer. Uh, and this other guy, I can't, I don't remember his name, but he does a lot of like world, like, uh, you know, indigenous instrumentation. Um, and they, it's, it's like a Sibian group, like psychedelic ambient kind of, kind of psychedelic trance. It's, it's trippy shit. Uh Uh, but I was, I really dug this album for a long time. Uh, like, you know, and then, um, I ended up buying it and I was actually really disappointed by it. I think a little bit. And so it's just kind of stayed on my shelf. But I was like, you know what? I really want to listen to this again. And I had it on this week. And I'm like, yeah, I fucking love this thing. <laughs> like, it's just like, it, like, I think part of the reason I loved the album, like, like I initially loved it was because of this, uh, like the first track is just like this 10 minute, like, just like 
acid drenched like trip like it, it just it sounds like it like and i love that sound and okay. then like it kind of just dies like it, it just kind of just like i don't like that the rest of the album isn't as good basically but uh i really enjoyed like a lot of the deeper cuts uh this time around and it was just it, it was it was cool to listen to it. it's a good reminder to just like you know it's it, it can be cool to have a large number in your collection but you know i think it's cooler to have albums in it that you intimately know um mm-hmm. so yeah <laughs> yeah that that, that that sounds great and i totally can uh relate to that experience um it's it's really fun when you, when you can you know you kind of stumble upon like you rediscover an album um yeah Oh yeah, it, it, like in there's some like I I consistently like I'll, I'll look for like ambient music on my shelf and I just completely forget that I have like three Tim Hacker records just like sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. Uh, my collection's only growing bigger. Someone help me. <laughs> uh, anyway, I so yeah, that is that is our episode this week, and uh, we will be back. Knack, we will be back next week. So, uh, talk to you then. Bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening, guys. And, uh, if you're interested, uh, you know, if you want to hear more, just, you know, listen to us on, uh, iTunes pod, Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast. Basically, uh, we are on all of it. Uh, if you follow us on Anchor, too, you know, whatever works for you. And uh, definitely be sure to follow us on Twitter. And if you ever have any suggestions, topics you want us to talk about, or questions, anything like that, uh, be sure to email us. Yeah, uh, we're at, at Sayshara Podcast on Twitter, and our email I think is Sayshara Podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Bye.